0: Hi, this is Victor Greta. And on this week of Coders, we are going to be looking at the ACES conference in New Orleans. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about the Apple Watch and what we can expect at WWDC. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors.
1: ComScope. Thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. TelecomCareers.com
0: Okay. Hi, everybody. This is Victor and Greta. And this week on Coders, I actually just got back from the ACES conference in New Orleans. And I'll tell you a little bit about what ACES is. It is for IT consultants, largely. They go to the conference. They learn how to build their business. Uh, It's not directly applicable to telecom necessarily and for developers it's sort of an offshoot right so these are the guys that show up to your house to fix your computer or to fix your networking but I'll tell you what here's Justin and Luis to tell you exactly what ACES is in their own words. Alright, so I'm here uh, with Justin Esker and you are running the ACES conference, right? Mm-hmm. So tell me yep. a little bit about that first.
1: So this is the first year we're doing the ACES conference. It's, it's the business aspect of IT consulting. So we have a lot of Apple consultants here who want to make their business better, uh, increase their revenue, they want to network with other entrepreneurs. We have some great non-IT topics um, so that way they can learn how to make just
2: raise their, bring their business up a level. And tell me a little bit about the app that you, you wrote.
1: So actually, we have a couple. Uh, our okay. book is called Sign My Pad. It's a PDF signature application, so you can uh, take documents, sign them right on your iPad, iPhone, and Android. We have a new cloud version of that, which is uh, pretty awesome. And our newest app is called Goodnight. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, <coughs> I'll edit that out. Don't worry. It in postings, <laughs> uh, our newest app is called Goodnight. It's a parental app, so you can put in your kid's bedtime and wake time, and if they use their phone, during that time, you get an alert so that way you know your kids are actually sleeping and not on their phones.
0: Now, you didn't write that in Swift, did you? No,
1: no, no. Actually, I have no idea what it's meant. I'm just the entrepreneur, I let other people do
0: all that. Right hard. on. So, yeah. uh, tell me a little bit about the process though, of outsourcing development like that.
1: Yeah, so uh, actually, all of my software development company is all about outsourcing. And uh, when I came up with the original idea, I drew some things. I hired a graphic designer on Odesk, and he grew up these. Logo and the layout and the whole night And then I went to another website, I think I used Odesk or maybe guru.com, and I found programmers in India who can write it. And, and while, yes, the code isn't like the best code in the world, and it's not super light like some of the apps that we know of, but like it gets it done, and, and we're able to get something sold, and that's really what it's about.
0: So. Uh... Luis, you're here at ACES and you're helping put this thing together or helping run the thing? Yeah,
2: Justin and I talked about uh, doing a conference a little while back and Justin has been mostly leading the charge but um, I've been involved as well trying to get uh, things uh, set up and help running some of the sessions. Uh, I spoke at the conference a little bit as well. uh, A topic on on onboarding and uh, just getting documentation straightened out and just a strategy for renewing uh, client conversations on a regular basis to make sure that they're informed of their IT and know what's going on. And Tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, well, my background is largely as a musician um, and I find it's quite common within IT folks that there's some kind of music background, interestingly enough. Uh, but I, I moved into IT about uh, eight, nine years ago and uh, just never looked back. It's just a great industry for me. I just love the work that we do. Uh, And then sort of spun off a company to do software development to solve our own problem, which was documentation. So a Monkey Box was born, and it's a Ruby on Rails app that we do in the cloud, and initially it was just a a project for ourselves to do our documentation, but it quickly turned into something that a lot of our colleagues were asking about and wanted to use as well. So we decided to turn it into a commercial app, and uh, right now we're just uh, working on doing that a little bit as well. Excellent. So uh, Monkey Box? MonkeyBox.com, yeah. MonkeyBox.com. Cool.
0: So that was Justin and Luis, and um, a couple of things on that. First of all, I spoke to Justin about his app, and Sign SignMyPad is a great app if you need to sign PDF documents. He has several different versions of this. There's an enterprise version whatnot, and they do a white label version as well. And I did think it was interesting because uh, Justin came up with the idea for ACES Conference, and he found some people and put this thing together. He came up with the idea for Sign My Pad, and as he said in the video, he outsourced the code. There's somewhat of a debate as to, is that a good idea, is that a bad idea? But I think that in the end, for what he needed to do, he didn't need this to be a five megabyte app. He didn't need this to be a super lightweight app. If you're signing something on your iPad, chances are you have enough memory to allocate to, you know, a 30, 40, 100 megabyte app or whatever to do something that's business critical like this. So the concern of, well, if I outsource this, if I pay less this, I'm not getting the most optimized code, right? That's okay if you need to launch quickly, right? That's agile development and, and that's the sort of ethos of build it quickly, put it out there, and then iterate. And we're going to have Justin on later to talk about that process of you know somebody who is maybe not traditionally a developer themselves coming up with an idea. Where do you go to find people? You know, How do you vet those people? Because I know that I've talked to a number of developers who've tried to outsource things, and then they've had a lot of problems, communication problems, scheduling problems, deadline problems, and a lot of code problems. So we're going to talk to Justin in a future episode about how you actually go through the process of outsourcing your development if you need to do something like that. The other thing that was interesting was Luis gave a a talk on threat assessment. And, of course, for IT consultants, when they come in, one of the things that you can hire them to do is say, well, you know, here's what you've got. And then here are some security concerns that you need to be looking at. And it's everything from, you know, what's your backup strategy to what kind of firewalls you're running or whatever. And um, the name of his talk was actually doing threat assessment without scaring your clients. And so that's the sort of thing that we saw at ACES is very IT focused so keeping that in mind, these are IT professionals. These are the guys, like I said, they come in, you give them a call at three in the morning because your hard drive crashed. And you need them to come in and, and save the thing you've been working on for six hours because you've got a client meeting in four. And one of the, uh, one of the presenters asked the question, how many of you have an Apple Watch? And about, I don't know, uh, about 10 to 15 people raise their hand and show their Apple Watch. And then he goes, how many of you have ordered a watch, but it hasn't shipped yet? And about another 10, 15 people raised their hand with no Apple Watch because they're still waiting for it. But it was interesting because it was a, it was almost, I would say, 30 to 40, maybe even almost half of the employee or uh, of the attendees were buying into the Apple Watch. Now, I'm going to talk about the Apple Watch for a few minutes here because there's some interesting things that are happening in this space from a developer perspective. And we've spoken to a few guests about the Apple Watch in the past, And while this isn't a wearable show, Apple Watch is definitely something that's going to be driving some of the decisions that Apple will be making. Right now, the Apple Watch is in sort of a strange state, especially for developers, because there is no native SDK. And what that means is that if you want to write an app that runs solely on the watch, you really can't right now. Uh, Apple has essentially made the watch, especially for third-party developers, really more of just a secondary screen. Now that has some benefits and it has some disadvantages as well. One of the benefits is that apps can't use a lot of battery and one of the things that was a huge concern coming into the marketplace was what's the battery life on the Apple watch going to be because they even said you're gonna need to charge this overnight. Well for those of us who wear Pebble or used to traditional watches, we're not really used to taking the watch off every night to charge. So there was a lot of question about is that gonna be optimal? Well, from what I'm seeing, actually people are getting about 18 to 20 or even more hours of life out of their watch, depending on how many times they actually raise up to look at it, because when you raise up is when the screen activates. So it's been interesting to see that in typical Apple fashion, they sort of said, well, you're gonna get this, but actually they over deliver for the customers. But the main thing is, is that you still can't create this sort of experience on the watch that you're used to creating on the phone. And there are a number of problems with that. Brian Mueller, uh, we had a few weeks ago, he was talking about the fact that there's a speed difference. You know, the processor, of course, in the watch is nowhere near the the caliber of what you would find in the iPhone. So even in just acting as a second screen, think of it as, as kind of like a thin client, really, in many ways. Even with that, There's enough of a delay with animations, and it's enough sluggishness to be a little bit concerning for developers who want to create things that respond really quickly. So that's why he was saying it's very important not just to test on the simulator. And I think we're at a point right now where most of the top-level developers that Apple wanted, they made sure that they got watches, first of all. And now you're going to have this sort of longer push of developers as the supply catches up with demand you're gonna see more and more apps and then the big thing and this is a million dollar question really for the uh, for WWDC which happens in just a few weeks and I'll be there talking to developers about these things there's a lot of things they won't be able to talk about because actually sessions at WWDC are under NDA so if there are specific frameworks that come out they won't be able to discuss that but everything that Apple announces at the keynote will be fair game and one of the things that we're thinking that we might see is a discussion of a native SDK for the Apple Watch. And what that means is that watch apps will run natively on the watch. They won't necessarily just be relegated to having push information sent from the iPhone. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means a couple of things. First of all, it means very likely that the battery will take a hit. And I know that that's something that Apple is very concerned about, and it's something that they're working very diligently on, because the iPhone already has done a tremendous amount of work in optimizing battery. They learned a lot of lessons in building laptops for many years, and Apple applied those when they built the iPhone. What's really amazing, I think, is that the watch gets better battery life, relatively speaking, than the first iPhone. And that was something that someone actually mentioned to me. But one other thing that I noticed, and this was in talking to the attendees, was that uh, some of the biggest features of the Apple Watch are health and then priority messaging. And what that means is that I saw everyone paying attention to the notification that you need to stand up now. So they, granted, they would get up and they would go get more beignets, but that's something that's definitely a killer feature of the watch. And I even saw a friend of mine who is not a technical person and not even a fan of Apple, but he bought an Apple Watch. And he said he is absolutely loving it, but it's because of those health things. He likes seeing his heart rate like you know, being reminded that you got to get up or seeing his activity and these beautiful graphs and whatnot. So Apple sort of nailed it with the health aspect, which is interesting to me because the health app on iOS 8 was pretty abysmal. It was broken to begin with, with third-party support. It's been sort of a constant pain point, although it seems to have kind of shaken out now, but it just didn't really explode, I think, that the way that Apple wanted. But then again, This is really only capable of recording your steps, so it's not recording heart rate, it's not getting the full picture of your health. And a lot of people appear to be understanding that the watch is a health accessory in many cases. But another interesting aspect of this, and I think this is something that ties into a lot of what we're talking about here on the show Coders, is how do we deal with messaging, right? Apple, of course, has an interesting way of handling messaging on the watch where you have these sort of canned responses and it learns over time as to how you respond to certain people and whatnot. It has other you know, emoticons and messaging technologies, but really what's interesting is the fact that one of the people I spoke to, uh, Jeff Gambit with the Mac Observer, was telling me that the best part of the Apple watch for him is priority messaging. And what that means is that he knows that if he gets a vibration in his pocket and it doesn't show up on his watch, that that's a lower priority item than if someone actually shows up on his watch. So you can go in and say, I only wanna see certain notifications on my watch and I only want some notifications to be restricted to the phone. And I found that interesting because I remember Apple saying that we're trying to deal with notification overload by making this watch. So there were really two big things that they wanted to accomplish with the watch. And one was the health aspect and one was notification overload. And I thought, well, how in the world are they going to do that when you've now got something that's much easier to interrupt your life? So it's been a clever implementation where you can say, well, yeah, we acknowledge the fact that you're going to want to get some things on your watch, but you're not going to want to get everything on your watch. So they've done a good job of controlling the experience in that way. Now, speaking of experience and user experience, this is of course, Apple's bread and butter, the user experience. We just saw recently That Gene Munster came out and apologized for the fact that for many many years he predicted that Apple would come out with a television set and Of course video is an extremely hot area in mobile right now The living room continues to be this battlefront between Microsoft and Sony and a number of other players Well, I always thought it was a little bit crazy that Apple would create a giant piece of glass that let's face it right now is pretty much commodity hardware something that you don't replace very often and something that's fairly expensive and large and not every Apple store is, you know, the size of the the one in in New York. So how are they going to do this? How are they going to make this economically feasible, especially when they basically had a television, it was the Apple TV. You have an HDMI port, you plug the thing in. No problem. That's exactly what people do with their cable boxes. Nobody buys a cable box that's built in to a television set. They get the cable box from somebody else. Right. Well, It turns out that Apple actually was working on a television for many years, but they scrapped the project a few years back because a lot of it was exactly what I was talking about. People don't upgrade very often, it's essentially commodity hardware, and they made the the decision that it just wasn't enough. What they were able to bring to market wasn't enough to distinguish them from everybody else. So it looks like they are focusing on the home again, But we have a couple of things coming up. And another thing that we expect to see at WWDC is more of an analysis and really the opening up, finally, of HomeKit. So for those of you who don't know, HomeKit, we've got WatchKit, which is uh, the watch APIs, and we've got uh, HealthKit, which are the health APIs. And these are the things that were announced last year's WWDC. HomeKit, they said, will be coming out sometime this year. And the idea of HomeKit is it's very much like the health app. It's a central hub and a way for developers to tie all of their connected devices in your home together so that they can be controlled from one panel as opposed to right now, which is where you have to go to five different apps if you have five different manufacturers. That's not always the case. Uh, I actually have a Viper home security system that I bought. This is the car alarm company. They've gotten into the home automation systems. And so I have this thing And it supposedly lets me control other things, but it's a very short list, right? It's maybe just the hue lights or maybe just this thing or that thing. And a lot of my other devices don't talk to that. So this is Apple's effort to sort of bring in all of these disparate devices into one central hub, which is again, something that Apple does extremely well and gives developers the tools to hook into that so that they can use their interface. Apple can use its interface expertise and design and understanding and the fact that it controls the operating system at a low, low level, the entire thing. So it's able to take all of those things and put them together in a way that maybe somebody wouldn't, somebody else wouldn't be able to do. But what's going to be interesting is to see how HomeKit is presented at WWDC and what the timetable is, because the ship has sort of sailed in terms of Internet of Things and, and people putting these things in their homes. What you realize after a while is that you bought a Nest and then you bought the uh, the fire detector that they make, and then you bought an automatic for your car, and you bought some Hue lights, and the next thing you know, you've got five or six connected devices that aren't talking to each other. Or you have to go into something like if this, then that to set up recipes. And I'm going to tell you, most normal human beings aren't going to do that. So this is a real potential to be big in a way that you know Microsoft isn't really doing much with that. It's, it's again, very scattered, So Apple is one of those companies that's able to bring all of this stuff together and just put it into this nice polished little thing for consumers to really adopt. To that end, I want to talk about the Apple Watch again. Uh, Saw an interesting story the other day, which is that Pebble has their new watch that they're working on. It should be coming out very soon. Well, the problem is, is that Pebble is rumored to be having financing problems or at least funding problems. And in part, it might be because the Apple Watch. I think that's a little bit weird because I also saw today on 9to5Mac that the Apple Watch, as we can expect, had a huge amount of pre-orders, and those orders have plummeted. Now, this is according to a company that studies uh, the receipts and shopping habits and whatnot, so it's not data from Apple, but it is interesting data to say that the demand has really just dropped down. I'm not going to read too much into that. Uh, because this is the first time that Apple's had a product that has taken so long for it to dribble out to all of its customers. I mean, we we had issues in the past. You know, it took them a long time to make a white iPhone. Um, Each iPhone cycle, you have some people who are waiting a few weeks. You know, the iPad, we've seen that as well. So what is it about that demand curve that drops so precipitously? Well, it's probably the fact that everybody knows you can't walk into an Apple store right now and buy an Apple Watch. So the Apple faithful put their orders in, and now everybody else is kind of waiting to see. I think that over time, we're gonna see that growth curve go back up, because as Apple puts in their supply, people are gonna be more inclined to go in, try one on, and maybe walk out of there with one. I still think it's gonna be obviously a slower growth curve than the iPhone, because it's not as an immediate need for most people, and it doesn't have the sort of wow factor that the iPhone had. But it is interesting to see that. And speaking of sales, another thing that was interesting was seeing the iPad has been declining in sales, actually. Uh, I don't know why that is. I think part of it is because there's a lot of skews and there's a little bit of customer confusion. Apple's, again, renowned for having a very simple product matrix. The iPad is the most complicated product matrix they've had in years. And I think that there's a little bit of customer confusion, but I think also the iPad is so well-made, I'm still using my iPad 3, and I use it all the time. I've looked at the iPad Air 2. I've looked at the mini, but it doesn't offer all the features that I – or it doesn't offer enough features for me to say, you know what? This iPad 3 isn't cutting it. Don't get me wrong. The iPad 3 is slow, and sometimes things crash, but I'm still using my first-generation iPad. So maybe that's a me problem. But what's actually interesting is that Tim Cook mentioned this in the, uh, in the financials, call a while back where he said, we don't know yet what the lifespan of the iPad is. In other words, they still have a lot of people out there using first, second, third generation iPads that love them and are holding on to them for dear life. Now, the iPad is somewhat of a premium product. And if you look at it compared to the low end Macs, you have a little bit and he even admitted that there's probably a little bit of cannibalization going on there. Um... But the iPad is something that they're seeing declining sales, so the question is, what are they going to announce at WWDC to help this? Well, one of the things that's been mentioned, again, by 9to5Mac, is the possibility of an iPad Pro. That's a larger format iPad. So you have the iPad Mini, the regular iPad Air, and then this larger iPad. I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but I think one thing that will happen, and this is, again, information for developers that is very important... Apple looks like they're going to introduce split-screen apps. So you'll be able to have a text editor on one side and a photo editor on the other side at the same time and be able to switch just by tapping your finger on either side to go back and forth between those two or actually see them both on the screen at the same time. That's really hugely useful because one of the things that the original Macintosh operating system offered were scalable tileable windows that actually could overlap each other so that you can drag and drop. I mean drag and drop was a functional feature of the Macintosh operating system. It was a graphical user interface that allowed you to literally click and drag and put something in there. You could never do that before. That was a really really big deal and so it's been interesting to me that iOS seems to have a huge aversion to dragging and dropping even though it's more natural with your finger. So I think that's what we're going to see is a lot more of dragging and dropping, a lot more just trying to bring the feature set to iOS to make the iPad more of a productivity tool. And it's not that you can't be productive on the iPad now, but the reason I still carry my Mac around on trips is because I know that there are certain things I just can't do with the iPad, unfortunately, or if I want to do them, it's a whole bunch of extra steps. And copying and pasting things between apps, even with the multitasking that you've got now, is still a little bit clunky. So I think we've got a lot of stuff that we're going to see at WWDC for developers, HomeKit, WatchKit, and then one more thing that might happen, although I recently heard word that this might have been cut at the last minute, and that is TVKit. So the Apple TV, not a big piece of glass, but the little hockey puck that we know and love there's been a lot of talk about Apple working with cable companies, and we've heard many rumors of executives showing up at Apple headquarters to talk about TV. How are they going to get the cable companies to say, yeah, we're, you know, we're just going to be dumb pipes, throw our stuff on Apple TV? Well, it's not going to happen. But Apple definitely has a vested interest in bringing applications to your television set. And again, this is part of the battle for the living room. So there are a lot of indications that TV kit is very close to being done, but there's a very large looming question as to whether it will get any sort of play at WWDC. So that is something that I am intensely interested in and we'll be covering for you guys. And we'll let you know if TV kit does show up, even if it doesn't show up in the keynote, we might be able to get some information as to whether anyone else is talking about it. So do stay tuned for us in a couple of weeks. In uh, in June, this is the week of June eighth. That we will be there on the ground in San Francisco for that. Uh, next week, we're we're going to be uh, looking, I think, again at the uh, at the Arduino and Arduino and Raspberry. And I'll actually have a little bit of demo code to show you guys uh, how you how you program the Arduino. It's fairly simple, and we'll get something up and running because I have a feeling that with HomeKit coming out. We're gonna be having all sorts of great fun projects that we can do around the house to connect things. And then when you drive into your driveway at night, all your lights come on, your slow cooker turns off, your refrigerator greets you and wonderful things like that. But uh, I'm gonna wrap it up for this week. And uh, as I said, join us next time. For now, I am Victor Greta Jr. This has been Coders uh, for RCR Wireless. Thanks for watching.
1: Coders is a production of RCR TV News. To reach Victor Agreta Jr. or to suggest a show topic for Coders, you can reach him on Twitter at SuperPixels. For all the latest news on wireless code and the whole world of wireless, check out rcrwireless.com.